it wasn't about me. It was a, a mission for, for helping other people. I was able to sort of put that embarrassment or shyness aside, if you like, and just be like super bold. This is your Badass Journey podcast. I am Karine Walsh, serial entrepreneur, growth strategist, executive leadership coach, and best-selling author. Each week, I will bring you a guest or a thought that will help you align what you love with what you do in order to build that badass life and business you dream of. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another conversation on your Badass Journey podcast. This episode is one that I am super passionate about sharing with you because my guest has actually figured out a way to create a social impact entrepreneurial e-commerce business. So most people are familiar with, you know, a company like Tom Shoes where it's, you know, you buy a pair of shoes and a pair of shoes is donated. This is similar in that when you buy a pair of the shoes from Balare, you actually also are contributing about 50% of the earnings go to help girls in Palestine get educated. And it is not easy to embark on a give back entrepreneurial venture. But what I love about what Amira Nimrawi has produced is that the journey for her to develop this company, to design the shoe, to find the manufacturer, to make sure it supports the right NGO, to make sure the money is going back to a place where she and her family have come from, even though she was raised in Australia, she has a similar lineage to me. And it's just beautiful to see this uh, give back in action. So I know you're going to benefit from hearing from her today and this conversation on how you actually go about creating an impact-based business. But most of all, you're going to love the actual product. Uh, the shoes are amazing. They're flats to help you. The way she designed them is from a need she had. And they're Italian-made and high quality and so worth it to invest in multiple pairs because then you're also impacting girls in a less fortunate situation, get the education they need and create the ripple effect in their society that is so worthwhile. So I know you'll enjoy today's conversation. Of course, we'd love to hear from you and get your support and especially share this episode so more shoes could be sold, but also make sure that it inspires you to go after what it is you want. So many of us think about creating an impact-based business. Now you're going to learn how you can go about doing it, at least how Amira has focused on her path to make sure it happens in an effective way. And she's still growing. She's still figuring it out, but she's in action and she's doing it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful journey that she's on. So I hope you enjoy it uh, today. And of course, I can't wait to hear from you. And especially when you buy those shoes and you start wearing them, make sure you tag me so that we can walk alongside each other. As we know, we have made the impact and also support this woman in business for doing what she's called to do every single day. 
Welcome, everybody, to today's conversation on your Badass Journey podcast. I'm really excited to bring on today's guest. We met via Instagram, of course, all things Instagram lately. And we're just so, I was just so impressed with her mission and her business and the light and energy that she has that I have to introduce her to you all. Welcome, Amira. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're uh, joining me today from London, correct? Yes, I am. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but it, what's really awesome is uh, just for those listening is like she's in London right now. She has a bit of an Australian accent because she wasn't yes. always in London. And the way I love to um, actually start the show is for you to share your badass journey to date on how you came up with Balare and really the the mission behind it because I believe people will truly be inspired by your journey and also want to learn how potentially to build an impact-based business like you have. Okay, great. I probably should uh, preface what I'm about to say in that I am still learning how to build a mission-based business, but I guess, I guess you know that's a journey that that continues. Um, what I hope to continue because it's it's one that allows you to continue to learn and evolve as you as you sort of grow. So I guess my journey started a really long time ago, and you know it's been a seed that's been sitting there waiting to to sort of germinate and grow and and build from there. But um, you know, I often talk about how I grew up the daughter of a Palestinian refugee, as you said, in Australia, and uh, was raised in in such a way that even my mother is Australian, and even though she she didn't grow up as a refugee herself, both my parents really instilled in in all of us uh, the importance of of education, especially for those that are less fortunate than than we were, and also just growing up in a in a country like Australia, where we are so fortunate in in terms of what we have uh, provided for us. And in particular, you know, a really amazing healthcare system and education system that is free, um, including university education that is heavily subsidized by the government. For me, it was it was something that I enjoyed to its full, but I, I never took for granted. And I was always aware of those less fortunate, in particular those that were back in Palestine, because most of my family on my father's side are still over there. And, you know, was really aware of the reality and, and the, the daily struggles that um, that they face themselves and, and, you know, within the community. So I guess that was always sort of sitting there behind the scenes. And I've always been passionate about helping people. And I thought for, for me, it would really be in the space of healthcare. And so I started off uh, nursing actually, and spent some time in that space and then ended up as you do, um, not so commonly working in finance, in particular in the, in the insurance industry, whereby I was taking that medical knowledge and uh, I guess starting to learn the, the business side of things and uh, was combining the two. And, and one of the reasons why I took the step into moving into the business uh, world or finance sector was because I always knew that I eventually wanted to own or run my own NGO. And so I, I sort of thought, okay, well, I've got the, the sort of health background and, and I was always passionate about health and especially women and children's health uh, and, and especially you know in, in Palestine and working with refugees in particular. So I, I thought that by going down this journey of 
throwing myself into the business world that I would hopefully gain some business acumen and insights into potentially how how to do that. And and then you know you sort of get you get sort of um, how do I say this elegantly? You sort of get sucked into the corporate world. What I did, and you know, was enjoying enjoying the the journey on in, on that particular path, but sort of forgot about my initial plans of having an NGO. And I'll actually never forget. It was so strange. I was sitting on the bus going to work one morning, and it kind of just hit me. It was sort of like, what about this idea, Amira? You know. And I was kind of like, wow, that's random. And I was sort of thinking, yeah, I definitely want to get back into that, but I don't really know what it is and you know, kind of just left it. And I'm a really big believer of, I guess it's easy to say this in hindsight, but I am a big believer of, I guess, following your instincts and the journey might not necessarily look like it's going to where you want it to go, but but you're definitely being taken along the path and learning the things and gaining skills and accumulating certain things, whether it's connections with people or you're just getting experiences that will prepare you for the future. So I was sort of riding that wave happily going along. And then I sort of started to think about it more. And I guess my, I guess you could sort of say who I was as a person from from the inside and all the things that I stood for were starting to be washed away by my exposure in the corporate world. And I was starting to realize that my passion for that space was waning and I really was being drawn to helping people in a much more tangible way. I always try to find ways in which to help people. And even within the insurance sector, I was really passionate about that. I was fortunate that I had mentors that, that really nourished that in me and nurtured that and allowed me to sort of bring that to that particular space because it's not it's not something that's typical of, of that uh, industry, but it was starting to get to a point where it wasn't it wasn't enough, and so I started to think about it. Okay, well, you know, I've got this business acumen and exposure, and I do understand things a lot more than I did, especially coming from a, a purely nursing background. And so I just started thinking about what you know, what sort of space. It was still definitely women and children. And then I started to think about, okay, well, what products, you know, what's a problem that I can solve and what particular product might, you know, lots of women want. And I actually initially looked at uh, sort of exploring the space of sanitary products for, for women. And, and in particular, I was wanting to look at organic cotton and, you know, environmentally friendly, but also really safe and healthy for, for the body. And I had that passion for women's health. But when I started to delve into that, it wasn't really, that in, in itself wasn't really something that I was passionate about. And also it's just such a huge industry to sort of take on that I, I kind of thought, okay, I'm not quite sure about this and I'll park it. And, and actually the idea for Bellare in itself came to me when I was, uh, I was just reflecting on this before our call. I was in India and uh, again, I'll never forget. It was so weird because I, I'd been thinking about it for such a long time. And I was in a little like tuk-tuk or in Mumbai. I was traveling with a friend and it had just started raining. I'll never forget these, these details because it was just, um, it was kind of just so obvious to me, but, at the, but it had taken so long to get to this point. And then all of a sudden in the back of this tuk-tuk, it hit me. I was like ballet flats because I'm always complaining with my colleagues about how we can never find the right ballet flat. You know, we'd, we'd sort of list off all these requirements and we'd go shopping and we couldn't find them. And I personally was sick of spending money on things that just weren't necessarily hitting the mark, but also, you know, I felt like there was space 
and room for improvement within the fashion industry to build a product that was ethical and also sustainable and also had a mission. And I really loved Tom's shoes and I, I really believed in what they were doing. But for me, working in corporate finance arena, you know, when I wasn't in heels, I was in flats and, and Tom's shoes for that particular space just wasn't appropriate. And so I thought, okay, yes, you know, I've always loved shoes and, you know, I'll just kind of go down this road. And, and then the name I, I uh, came up with actually at the time as well, because my friend was Italian and I was like, what, you know, what does, uh, what does you know, dance mean in, in Italian because there were ballet flats and he was like, ballade. And I was like, yeah, that's it. It just felt on every level so right. So that was the sort of concept of the, the actual product. And, uh, and I was really passionate at that stage about the girl effect, you know, the, the impact and the domino effect of when you educate a young girl and, you know, the longer that she stays at school, the, the flow on effects and the positive impact that that has not only on her life, but within her family and within her community and sort of has this ripple effect of positive impact. And then, you know, obviously, hopefully in the future, when she does have children herself, she then passes on that education and that positive impact. And it sort of breaks this cycle of poverty. So I did start looking at areas where you know, it was really hard to be a girl. So in sub-Saharan Africa, Sierra Leone, um, those sorts of places and started doing my research and reaching out to NGOs that were working in that space and in particular for, for young girls to go to school. But all that time, I just, in my heart, there was something sort of saying to me, what about Palestine? What about Palestine? What about Palestine? Now, traditionally, despite the issues that are there and despite the fact that, you know, we both we have both, you know, internal and external refugees, our education statistics have actually been very, very strong. And it's been something that we're very proud of and have been proud of for a, a long time and, and something that we've actually, during the years of occupation, clung to. So I kind of thought, mm, it's not really an issue there. But, you know, for me it, personally, it just didn't feel right to to not help, you know, what I see as home. And then when I started doing research, it came to light that actually, yes, traditionally our statistics had been strong, but because of the protracted, you know, occupation and the, the issues that go with occupation and in particular in areas like Gaza, where, you know, they've been under blockade for, for 12 years now, um, you know, we're starting to see that those statistics are deteriorating and deteriorating on a, on a massive scale. I kind of thought, okay, no, I can't really let this happen and I, I need to be involved. And then since that time, since the sort of beginning thoughts about Velarde, we've seen cuts to, to the United Nations Relief Works Agency, which is a a division of the United Nations specifically for helping Palestinian refugees. They received massive funding cuts uh, over the last two years. Obviously, you know, the issues in Gaza with the blockade have continued and we've started to see other areas in the West Bank be affected. And then when I was actually there about two years ago, I, I was doing some research. So I was sitting down with NGOs that were working in the area and sitting down with specific schools and, and going to visit refugee camps. And uh, whilst I was there, the summer holidays ended and the students started to go back to school. And in those first few weeks of school, some of the schools were actually being bulldozed. And mm. and the kids were being prevented from, from being going to school, from, from being able to go to school 
I mean, in the physical sense, but they were still turning up ready to go to school where, wherever that was, you know, whether it was close to school and they just picked up chairs and tables and just put them together and they just were having the classes outside, whether it was at, you know, some sort of community hall or someone's house, you know, they were figuring out ways to continue that. So I kind of, you know, that sort of cemented my, my mission and, uh, and yeah, I, I reached out to Anrua a few times by email, just sort of going through what I would consider, you know, in inverted commas, normal channels and wasn't getting anything back. I mean, they're so inundated, the poor guys, like really work so hard. And then I kind of got a little bit frustrated. And I was like, okay, that's not working. What can I do? So I just went on LinkedIn and I was sort of doing a bit of stalk. I'm like, oh, who, you know, who's working at Anrua and whatever. And then just reached out to someone um, by LinkedIn and she replied and she was amazing and they were so excited by it. So, so yeah, that was sort of the beginning of, of that particular journey. But that's sort of how I came to the point of, of starting Balada and choosing um, that particular mission. How long was it started? So it has officially launched in terms of me having the website that I have at the moment for a year. However, I, I have sort of been running for about unofficially, if we say for two to three years, because what I did was I started very small and I thought, okay, I'm going to sort of do this in an agile fashion. I'm, I, I wanting, I'm wanting to sort of incorporate it, a test and learn. So I produced a small run of um, the shoes and a very small limited collection. And I actually gave most of them away to friends and family. And I, I wanted them to test them and I wanted to get the feedback. And then people started seeing them on colleagues and then people started asking questions. And so the shoes that I had left over, I actually sold and they all, you know, a hundred percent of those profits actually went straight to, um, to Anurua as a donation. And then I sort of did phase two where I, I did another small batch and then they sold out. And so in terms of having a full collection and the Instagram and website, etc., I've been running now in full and the, the current partnership that I have with Anurua for now 12 months just it's amazing it's that's uh, it's it's so amazing because you know so many times people get stopped when in in fulfilling their mission because they hit roadblocks right like when you're in the creative mode of designing something that hasn't been done before and it also needs to be done your way you're entrepreneurial about it you want to leverage all that you know and have impact I mean, that's a lot. It's a lot to integrate. It's a lot to focus on. <laughs> it's a lot to, to implement. Yeah. And it's, I mean, to have an e-commerce um, arm and your shoes are, uh, they're made in, the flats are made in Italy. Um, so you had to also find the right source that could actually do the detailed work you wanted and, and have the comfort as well as the practicality <laughs> of your offering. And all the beautiful colors. I mean, I love all the yeah. colors too. Yeah. It, it's just, you have to celebrate it, even though it might not yet quite be at the mark you want just yet from the order of impact. Yeah. It's just so awesome that you're, you're at this stage. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. I was sort of thinking about that today because you know people... Slowly, slowly, I started letting people in and letting them know because at first I was quite protective, and then I sort of got to a point where I'm like, "Well, this is ridiculous. How are you supposed to get the word out there if you're you're not telling people?" Right. And you know, like, "Oh, you know, are you excited? This is amazing. I can't believe it." And I and 
because for me it was so incremental and as you said like I'm so into the detail whether it's the detail of you know the business side or the detail of the social impact or the detail of the shoes and everything's so incremental you kind of well I have forgotten sometimes to kind of just lift my head out of that detail and be like wow okay yeah 12 months ago I was not here and this is really actually amazing I do need to celebrate it and you're right you do otherwise you just don't have the energy to to keep pushing forwards yeah. And it's like, it's tapping into what fuels you to keep going for sure. You know, yeah, that's a, exactly. a critical part to entrepreneurial life. Uh, and then the ability to to stay in impact, right? So I'm curious, like for to date, what, what has the impact been on the education for the girls in, in Palestine? So I can only really speak to the last 12 months because before that, they were just donations to sure. Unruh and they don't those. So what, since we've um, put together the partnership, we've been able to put through 25 girls um, through school for a year and also through a, a fundraiser that we did with, with Belade. And I sort of, this was sort of a second arm to Belade that I'm starting to build out now where it's using Belade as a platform for female empowerment. So we, I, we organized a, uh, a charity event called A Piece of Palestine where we photographed um, and interviewed Palestinian women living in diaspora in, in Australia, in Sydney, wearing their traditional dress called a thorb and talking about what that thorb meant to them and, you know, the meaning behind it. Because often, we, you know, within our culture, you know, their mothers or their mother-in-laws or their grandmothers have passed down that thought to them, at, you know, at momentous times, whether it's they're leaving home and they're going to Australia because they've gotten married or, you know, mm. they've had to leave time for whatever reason. And um, so we sort of opened that up as a narrative. And through that event in collaboration with Belade, we've uh, we raised enough to put Put through. I'm still waiting for the final figures, but about 200 kids through counselling for a year, which Amazing. is something that was un- it was so unexpected. But I was so excited about when we got those figures through. So, yeah, you know, it's it's small steps and uh, it's exciting and and it's hard sometimes when you have this bigger vision, not to to kind of keep looking at that bigger picture in terms of, you know, the the big impact that you're wanting to have and not to dismiss these smaller steps because, you know, 25 girls is still amazing and, you know, these kids having counselling for a year as well. And so it's, um, you know, sometimes I do need to remind myself that it's like, you know, it's in these steps that we will get to that bigger, bigger picture of having that greater impact. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's the same in, in, in the for-profit situation, you know, where you constantly think of, oh, I'm going to make like, you know, 3 million this year in sales and then, and then people chip towards it and they might hit the 1.5 part. That's still 1.5 out of 3 million goal and it still has impact, right? Like it's beautiful that you've been able to impact uh, these family lives too, because when you're educating a child, you're also giving the benefits back to the whole family. Because uh, yeah. so, if that one child can actually go and produce more for the family, that it 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 or navigate a path out or a path to what's next. I mean, it, it just has a ripple effect, especially with yeah. education and and the therapy part. I mean, that's huge. Because I always yeah. I always am you know when I think about 
coming also from a refugee story um, with my parents and then, and then, but being raised here in the States where it was just basically heaven compared to any sort of desolate situation or a compromise situation, I would say, where it's, it's uh, for a lot of these families that are there, it's, that's all they have. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a compromise situation as much as they try for the, to break the theme of their life the last, I don't know, how many years has it been now? I mean, the, the wars have been going on for so long in that territory that it's generational now. It is in 71 years that there, there's been the Israeli occupation. So, you know, that's 71 years. And as you said, like those, those generations now that have been born in, as refugees internally within Palestine in, in the refugee camp. So, you know, I mean... That's just that's a whole quagmire of mental health issues and yeah. health, you know poverty issues and and everything else that goes goes with that um, that that cycle that hasn't yet been broken unfortunately. But as you said, the education is such a powerful tool. You know, it's not only a basic human right; it's a powerful tool that empowers people and just opens their world up. And uh, you know, whether they can use it to leave, to then be able to come back, or to give, you know, to their parents or to their, their community. You know, I'm, I'm meeting people when I go, I generally go once a year in the summertime and I, I meet these amazing young people that often will go overseas and, and receive their university educations and they're actually deciding to go back and then and then give back within their communities and, you know, um, in particular within the refugee camps, building youth centres and um, volunteer programs so the children are exposed to different walks of life and because often they can't, they can't leave themselves. And so, you know, that's such a beautiful thing to to be able to, to hopefully give someone that, that particular tool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it always has had a ripple effect. It's, it's something that, um, and I know you listened to the episode when I interviewed my mom, it's like education was the number one thing that gave her the empowerment to guide her life in a way and yeah. then, and it and it assisted her tremendously when she came here to the states, not wanting to come to the states, but having mm-hmm. to navigate here. She had a whole alumni from her college years uh, from Lebanon, and that were able to build a, somewhat of a community, even though she felt so disjointed initially. Mm-hmm. But she definitely raised us like education first. You know, like it was a mandate uh, <laughs> for us to to achieve, and I can't. You know, for me, as much as the education system here in the States has kind of not caught up as well and is, is there's this whole just the, the finances behind it all is really hurting people more than helping people here in the US. Um, I'm not sure about the international piece on education, but it's an interesting dynamic that's occurring now where even though we are um, assisting others in other countries to get the, the essentials, around education. The fact that we haven't gotten to a point where it's evolved in a way to truly impact more, it just, yeah. it, that kind of gets me a little stirred up on the inside. <laughs> like I get <laughs> yeah, because because as I said, it's a it's a basic human right, and and so in a first world country, I mean, you just don't expect it to to not be readily available and accessible. And and you know, as an Australian, I mean, we we do sort of have a tax system where you eventually do pay your university 
fees, but it doesn't hit you so hard. And always sort of, you know, watching these American movies and TV shows and, you know, like Gossip Girl and, you know, Dan's got to get his scholarship and whatever to get into the IB. <laughs> I'm just like, what is this? Because, yeah, because it was a human right. Yeah. yeah, fortunately for us in Australia, I mean, we do we do eventually have to pay for it. But if you don't have it up front, then you're not precluded. And I mean, that's just an amazing thing. So, so yeah, it's um, it's interesting to kind of look even you know in our own home countries, like how it's working or not working. And yeah, yeah. and then also like how how to create more of a ripple effect on education, even for where it is working. Like, how can it be leveraged? You know, so if we think about even what you're doing for the girls in Palestine now with with the donation or the amount you're able to raise to have that impact, Mm -hmm. it's it's the next leveling potentially could include the how how do they then also learn the pay it forward model? Um, Because sometimes it's it's a matter of access. It's a matter of, you know, location of where the schools are that they can get through a program um, and figuring out how do you bring it into the home and make sure everyone's getting educated. You know, it's, yes. it's, it, it definitely has a, a lot to expand upon, which is exciting. Tell it me a bit is. about the, the way you were able to source the shoe. So there's this whole other retail side, right? That is a big challenge to any business. Like not all commerce businesses stay afloat. <laughs> so... I would love to share that aspect too, because obviously there's a tremendous give back, but there's also a mm-hmm. lot of work to run um, a, a brand and a design yeah. uh, commerce company. So how's that yeah. process been going? Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, the biggest challenge for me was finding, as you said earlier, was finding the factory and the manufacturer that that understood my creative vision, if you like, in terms of what I wanted the shoe to look and feel like. And so, you know, that was one of the the blockers that I, I did face. You know, I at first actually, and again, you know, I'm I'm actually a very shy person and and generally not as bold. But I think because for me it wasn't about me; it was a, a mission for for helping other people. I was able to sort of put that embarrassment or shyness aside, if you like, and just be like super bold. So I was just <laughs> I just sort of started googling like factories in Italy, and um, in particular, I, and you know, I've always loved shoes and fashion as well. So I, I did know the region. Um, um, in Italy, where most of the designers have their their produce made and whatever else, so I sort of narrowed it down to that point, and I found a directory of Italian factories working in the region, and uh, so I started sending some some emails in English, hoping that they might, you know, have international clients and and be able to to cope with the English. But I also <laughs> have a sister studied um, Italian and, and, you know, lived in Italy for a while. So we had sort of an English version and an Italian version going out. And for a long time, I didn't, I didn't receive a response from anyone. It was just so disheartening. I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? And if I go to Italy and, and physically try to sort of, you know, find them, I have absolutely literally no idea in terms of how to approach um, factories and you know, sort of looked into an agent, you know, because you can pay agents to take you around, but but also, you know, as a startup and a social enterprise startup, my, you know, funding was very limited and obviously, come well, not obviously, it was coming from my own personal funds. So I, I was trying to be very uh, lean, as lean as I possibly could. And then randomly a friend, uh, an Italian friend who was living over there, heard what I was trying to do. And he's like, oh, I've got a friend, he's a shoemaker. And I was like, okay, great. And I just happened 
happened to be going um, that summer with my sister for a couple of weeks before we went to the Middle East. And so we went and he'd made the samples and whatever else and, and they were amazing. But, you know, and this is a really good lesson actually in terms of like listening to your gut instinct and your intuition because at the time things just didn't seem right. But I was so excited to finally have, I guess, you know, the first prototype and feel like I was gaining some traction and actually moving forwards on the design front. I sort of put aside these like little niggling feelings. But anyway, as it transpired, um, you know, I paid way too much for these samples and they weren't, they weren't comfortable at all. Mm. And uh, they, um, the, the designer himself, when I, when it came down to actually starting to sort of talk about, you know, the elements that I wanted to incorporate to make the shoes a lot more comfortable, things that I'd noticed over the years from, from buying flats, he was just like, absolutely no way to do it do I have any say in the sort of creation of the, the model? I was like, well, that's kind of a bit weird because that's the whole point. And, yeah. you know, whatever. so kind of just parted ways amicably. And, um, and then again, I just started on this sort of um, this path of just, you know, bombarding factories. And, and I found this particular factory and they were in Marke and which is the region and uh, specific region that I was wanting to work in. And uh, I just started um, emailing this particular factory and, and they were very responsive and they were speak, speaking English, which was great. And I sort of explained the social mission because, again, for me, it was really important. And that's one of the reasons why I chose Italy was obviously because of the quality, but from an ethical perspective, I knew that I could trust that the, the factory was, you know, most likely going to be run in an ethical way because, mm-hmm. you know, being in Australia, we have a lot of companies that have their, their products made in, in Asia. And I had traveled, um, fortunately with, with UNICEF and myself, you know, throughout Southeast Asia, in particular Vietnam and Cambodia, and actually visited some factories there. But, you know, I'd heard stories of, your 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 shoes could be made in 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 what you think is the ethical factory, but down the road there's another factory where they're actually producing the shoes, and it's not so ethical, and mm. you know, people treat it so well, and there was just no way to really govern it. So I that made me really nervous. So I I kept coming back to Italy, and I was like, no, I, I know it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but I really want to make a beautiful shoe, and know in my heart that it's ethical. And so I found this particular factory, and they I never I didn't meet them at this point, but they'd sent the first sample, and and the, the shoes were amazing. They were like wearing sneakers, but you know slightly more elegant, and you know they were perfect. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did they they get it? So so quickly and and I just knew in my gut that yeah I was going to go ahead with them and so it was after the first few runs and again they they were so I guess um what's the word they were so behind what I was doing that they reduced the minimum order from you know what's usually 100 shoes down to 30 shoes and you know they were really trying to without without doing damage to themselves, they're really trying to help me, you know, come up with the the right product and and get my find my feet and sort of get myself started and, and really taught me a lot about the process as well, which was amazing. And so when it came to meet them, you know, this whole time I thought I was communicating with a guy. And uh, by this stage my sister's moved to Italy and she's falling in love with an Italian guy and he happens to just <laughs> live, you know, an hour away from where the factory is. So we drove all of us, you know, and the sister-in-law all in packed in the car and whatever. And, you know, there's this guy standing out the front and, um, you know, I'm saying ciao and my, my Italian is very bad and limited and, and whatever else. And he was, you know, saying hello. And I, and I sort of looked at my sister, I'm like, why is he being so cool? You know, like I've been talking to this guy and we've had deep DMs about, you know, what I'm doing. <laughs> 
or whatever. And he's seeming to be very sort of cool, calm and collected. I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, he works in fashion. So whatever. <laughs> and we get inside and there's this lovely woman. She's like, hi, you know, my name is Eleonora, blah, 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 and whatever. And we're sort of chatting away. I was sort of confused. And then we sat down, we started to run the meeting and, um, you know, she was doing all the talking and I realized that he couldn't speak English. And I was like, hang on a second. I thought I was talking to Gabriel and they sort of looked at each other very sheepishly. And it turns out she's been the one sending me the emails and communicating with me. And then it turns out they're husband and wife and they're this amazing dynamic duo. And and I guess sort of business mind and force and energy behind their business is this amazing woman. And, uh, you know, he's he's the one with the technical skills and actually making the shoes. So it was sort of this beautiful twist to me finding the right factory. And I just knew then that they were they were right. And, you know, they're a family-run business. It's a third-generation factory. And it's a skill that's starting to die in Italy with, you know, a lot of the competition coming from Asia now. And and so, you know, I really, I really wanted that to be a part of my story as well and to be a part of the brand because we're preserving something that's been done for hundreds of years in that particular area and yeah. a craft isn't so, you know, popular anymore with these sort of fast fashion um, manufacturing. Yeah. The, the disposable fashion life that everyone seems exactly. to live now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and so I I just loved at the heart of them, you know, their their business was a it was a family and, you know, they really believed in what I was doing and believed in me and really, you know, I they they really went out of their way to help me. And so, yeah, it was just sort of a coming together of, of all these sort of little elements of me knowing that they were right and, and they have been ever since and, and they're now, you know, family. So it's, um, yeah, it was sort of, again, one of those things of just following my path and not really, you know, sort of getting roadblocks and just thinking, okay, like it's just not meant to work out that way, you know, which way and sort of changing changing track and never never once actually thinking, Oh no, I can't. I can't do this. Like this isn't going to work. I have had those moments since, but on that front, it wasn't. Once I got you know up and running, those moments have certainly hit me. But you know, on that path, I I just had faith that I would find the right people, and I did. So, so yeah, that's from a sourcing perspective how I came about. It's yeah. beautiful. One of my most favorite shoes I ever got, and I was I was really young, and I was in Italy. And, uh, or no, I was in London, actually. I think I bought an Italian pair of shoes and I was, I was in love with them and they were flats actually. And I've never been able to find a similar pair. So I cannot wait to, to get your shoes, um, so that I can like experience that again. (laughs) Because it's been so long. (laughs) Yeah. What's your favorite color out of the line that you've created? Yeah, it's so hard um, because <laughs> I, I I really went so in the test runs I actually did black because you know obviously working in a in a corporate environment it's a color that you wear a lot yeah. and so I was sort of rebelling against that with the the full collection I was just like no I just really want to go with colors that I love and you know the the turquoise suede was really amazing. And I kind of thought I was a bit worried at first. I was like, I don't really think people will get it. Um, but and then I was like, I don't care. I just I really wanted to just follow, you know, my my heart and my passions and choose the the colors that I love. So it's really hard. But I have to say, the Asala, which is the, the peachy pink with the red trim, is definitely my favorite and has been the the ultimate favorite of of all of my customers as well. I've had repeat 
customers come back to either buy them as presents or again for themselves. Um, and I love that one for two reasons. One, because I've just always loved pink and red, but as well, it was sort of an accident. So, you know, the factory contacted me and said, look, we don't have the right pink ribbon as the trimming to go with this suede. You know, it's not going to be an exact match as it had been with the others. What do you think about these pinks? And I just thought, no, it just didn't sit. They, they just didn't look right. And I was like, what, what does the red look like? And they sent me a photo of them sort of lying on top of each other. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was sort of an accident and, and an innovation, if you like. Um, and then it's turned out to be the most popular shoe. And, and of course, so I don't know um, if I mentioned this, but each shoe is actually being named after a woman that has inspired me and supported me on my journey of getting to this point of being able to start Bellare. And, and that particular shoe is named after my my cousin, who is a sister and an amazing force herself. And so, uh, and because they were so different and in Arabic, her name means original um, and she's very original. Mm-hmm. I named them after her. So I think those are definitely my, my favorite for all of those reasons. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And and curious, like, so if someone listening, you know, wants to buy their pair and wants to support what you're doing, um, help us understand what the the give back model is, um, so folks know how it benefits the program. Yeah, sure. So I have a fairly transparent pricing model, which is another sort of element of the business that I I was wanting to bring in to create change, I guess, within the fashion industry. And so on the website, it it breaks down the costs, the shipping, the taxes, etc. And so basically the giving model is 50% of the profits are actually going to the United Nations Relief Works Agency. And they're then using that money to to support a girl going to school. And And that can be in different ways. It could be you know, putting clothes, you know, for their uniform or giving them the packs that they need at the beginning of the school year for their books, or it could be supporting um, in some schools, they actually need to have snacks and meals in place. And in particular in Gaza to, to sort of, I guess, support the families because they're so um, under so much strain financially that they sometimes can't afford to give the kids breakfast. So they give the kids breakfast and snacks at school to you know some of the some of the things that we mentioned was like the counseling sessions so that's to help the, the children stay in school because you know what we start to see in in areas of prolonged uh, conflict is you know violent outbursts or um uh, what's the word I'm looking for sort of claust- not claustrophobia um oh my gosh caged in yeah exactly sort of oh my gosh I can't believe I've completely forgotten so I guess antisocial behavior in that the kids aren't necessarily wanting to go to school. Um, we start to see like social withdrawal symptoms and that sort of thing. So, so the counseling sessions are actually at school because for a lot of these kids, it is the only safe place that they can go to, to sort of, to, in, to some extent, you know, I don't know how well you can forget what's going on in the outside, but to some extent, forget what's happening and have a place to play because a lot of these communities and and in refugee camps, they have absolutely no space whatsoever for like playgrounds and parks and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's, um, it's about supporting them to sort of stay in school and to use that space as a safe and healthy environment. Love it. I mean, it's, it's so needed and it's, uh, it's really amazing how uh, focused you are in ensuring that the business you build will have, ripple effect on the return of investment because it's not easy 
first of all, to like run your own business and, and especially mm-hmm. in the commerce space. But then second yes. of all, to align impact to it, it's just, it, it has the continuous effect to fuel more. So I'm curious, what is what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? How can how can the community listening support you so that mm-hmm. we can we can walk alongside you on this journey as well? Okay, great. So you know, this is such a good question because um, a lot of people that that want to help that either you know don't like my shoes and that's fine, or you know they they can't wear my shoes, or you know I've got guys reaching out as well who want to help. So you know obviously the shoes. Um, obviously also, you know, making direct donations to the United Nations Relief Works Agency. And I have a link on my site for just pure donations and it takes you direct to UNRWA. So that money doesn't come to Belare at all. It just takes you direct to the the UNRWA website. And, you know, the reason I chose UNRWA is because they are such a a well-established not-for-profit organization that has been working in the region since 1949. So they're very well aware of the situation and the complexity of the situation and they have a sustainable a sustainable um, model because they understand that in that particular context, especially within Palestine, there are lots of NGOs that come in and, and want to help and, and pump money in and then sort of walk away and, and it doesn't really have long-lasting impact. So, you know, the United Nations Relief Works Agency is about leveraging the the knowledge base that they have within the other United Nations divisions, um, and then also bringing their experience that they've had in in that particular region, specifically with Palestinian refugees since 1949. And so, for me, it's a trusted organisation where I know that, for example, 90 cents of every dollar that's donated is actually given back into the community. And you know, a lot of people are worried about processing fees and and you know the donations. Um, potentially being watered down for for staff costs and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, basically they pay the wages for the, um, the UNRWA staff from, from the main United Nations um, pool, if you like. And so any donations that come direct to the United Nations Relief Works Agency, you know, that's 90% is going direct to, to the people that need it, you know, whether it's the students, because it's not just education that they provide. They provide healthcare, they provide um, education and vocational training for women in particular, um, they provide disability services, um, they provide human rights advocacy as well. So there's a whole host of things that they're offering. Um, and so you can actually go online. What they've just started and launched, which is really amazing, is um, you know give a gift for a Palestinian refugee. So you can choose what that gift is. So you can specifically go on and choose education. Now they don't specifically call out girls because their statistics um, for girls going to school and staying in school are actually so great that the the girls are actually surpassing the boys at this point in time. And so you know fifty percent of of Actually, more than 50% um, of the students that UNRWA educate in their schools are, are girls. And so that's, that's one way. And I guess, um, I guess the other thing that I would say is just to sort of open your mind and, and maybe 
you know, I guess research a little bit more if you don't know what's going on in that region. And, and UNRWA is a great website because it is, you know, a UN-based um, organization and they have a lot of information that's in, in a format that's easy to digest because, you know, I think it's really important to educate ourselves and to be aware of what's going on and, and the different ways that we can help because they also run different types of campaigns. So, those would be my top three things, the shoes and the donations and then going direct to the UNRWA website to sort of learn a bit more about the situation. Amazing. We'll make sure that all those links are put into the show notes and uh, and also the your Instagram handle so they can even just shop through Instagram as needed and connect with <laughs> yeah. you that way. Or if they have questions or want to be of further support, they can connect. Oh, um, I love questions. Yeah, anything. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, uh, Mira's super responsive. She and I have been chatting online for a bit. And so it's really fun to be able to share you in this way and share your mission. Also knowing that you know my bloodline comes from the region you're helping. And, and so I'm really grateful. And I want to thank you for the amazing work you're doing and, and creating this business. I know it's not easy and I know there are challenges, but also know that it's so worthwhile and so needed. And you're support and you're supported. You know, we're we're, we're cheering you on. <laughs> and that's the most amazing thing. And that's another benefit that I've gained is just these, you know, genuine people like yourself that are, are wanting to support and, and you know, sharing kind words and you know, it honestly just makes such a difference to my day to allow me to sort of push forwards in those harder moments. So thank you so much. It's amazing. I think what you're doing is amazing. So and I look up to you in that space in terms of empowering women in that way. So yeah, I think it's um it's a, it's a nice little community we've got. <laughs> yeah. Very, very, very fortunate to connect with real intentional work, right? Like yeah. it, it makes a difference because then it's so much easier to show up in it even when it gets hard. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Well, before we close out today's episode, I always like to ask this final question is how do you define what a badass is? Mm, okay, good. Um, I think... I think about us and I think about this as the, the Bellare woman as well, you know, what's she going for? And it's just, I think it's someone that might be a little bit afraid um, and still manages to somehow push through and chase what she's, what she's wanting to achieve. So it's sort of going for your dreams, following your heart, following your intuition um, and, and pushing through the fear and, and not apologizing for it. And also, you know, if you fall down and, and maybe things don't go the way that you want them to, you're, you're picking yourself up, you're being kind to yourself and uh, you're, you're moving forwards and taking that as a lesson to sort of evolve and, and continue, continue to be a badass. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me today. Before you move on to the next episode, please post a review or share this episode with someone you think would appreciate it. Your feedback and support mean everything to me. For more information, check out yourbadassjourney.com or kareenwalsh.com. I truly believe everyone is capable of living a badass life. Thank you for listening.